Hello, and welcome back. This is the second video in an ongoing series exploring and studying Agrippa's three books of occult philosophy. In this video, we'll be going over chapter two, what magic is, what are the parts thereof, and how the professors thereof must be qualified. Agrippa begins by stating that magic stems from the virtues of things. Things, not to be confused with the Germanic assembly, is just, well, that a thing. Anything and everything has virtues of a sort, even you. Think of it as all that there is. However, while all things have occult virtues, some virtues are more potent than others. This is the concept of mundane things versus occult or magic things. Something mundane, for example, could be a computer. A computer is a heavily processed, often machine-made, filtered, and mass-produced item. This isn't to diss on computers. I love computers. What they've done for humanity is incredible. However, they are mundane. And I would like to add a caveat to that. While mundane objects are... mundane, <laughs> this doesn't mean that they don't hold virtues. It just means it would be harder to extract virtues via magical, religious, or spiritual ceremony. Whereas an item like a handmade walking stick would be fairly simple to work with in a magical sense. Before I go on, instead of saying magic, religion, spirituality, magic, religion, spirituality, magic, religion, spirituality, over and over and over again, I'm just going to refer to things as magic. In occult philosophy, religion and spirituality is magic. Whether you agree with that or not, let's just assume so for the sake of understanding. Okay, moving on. A handmade walking stick, specifically handmade. This object has a lot of potential to be a magic item, with a lot of easily accessible virtues. The kind of wood, the intent with which it was made, the location where it was found, was it a dead branch or fresh? Was it sawn from the tree or broken? Did you sweat in the hot summer sun, carving it, your essence soaking into its skin, or did you feel its warmth in the winter, meticulously engraving it with words, symbols, and your very being? The bond between you and an object imbues both you and the object with the virtues of each other. The stick becomes yours, and you become the owner of the stick. I could go on forever, naming the many things you can attribute as a useful virtue, like a certain someone does, but I'll move forward. I'll end on this note. Handmade walking stick is magic. Computer is not very magic. I'd like to take a moment to speak on animism. Animism is the belief that all things have spirit. As a Norse heathen, animism plays a huge role in my understanding of religion and theology, as well as how the virtues I speak of can interact with my comprehension of animism. If you'd like to know more about animism in a much more in-depth way, I recommend Religion for Breakfast's video on it, which I'll link below. Agrippa goes on to say magic is full of most high mysteries, containing the most profound contemplation of most secret things, together with the nature, power, quality, substance, and virtues thereof, as also the knowledge of whole nature, and it doth instruct us concerning the differing and agreement of things amongst themselves, whence it produceth its wonderful effects, by uniting the virtues of things through the application of them one to the other, and to their inferior suitable subjects, joining and knitting them together thoroughly by the powers and virtues of these superior bodies. 
Okay, yeah, that was a lot of big words. I know. Let's, uh, let's break it down. Here, Agrippa is setting up the idea that magic is the perfect culmination of three central philosophies. Theology, mathematics, and natural philosophy. Natural philosophy basically just means physical science, but we'll get to that in a minute. In this excerpt, Agrippa is explaining that magic is the key to understanding high mysteries and contemplating secret things. This is achieved through the act of magic, ceremony, ritual, however one practices. Again, I'll reiterate, magic is the action of drawing upon virtues to achieve a goal. Agrippa states that the combination of virtues is the act of magic. You can see this in ceremonies where multiple physical objects are combined in order to draw out a specific virtue. Think the idea of offering certain things to a god that all have the same innate properties, so the god assists you in a goal that relates to the offerings made. This is where things get tricky, though. How do we determine what things have what virtues, and how do they interact with one another? Well, a good standard is the Western idea of the four basic elements, earth, water, fire, and air. We'll see later in Agrippa's works how all virtues stem from these elements. Agrippa says that nature instructs the agreements and disagreements of these virtues. As to what those agreements and disagreements are, this is also explained a bit later, but you can also use a bit of common sense. Think about the four elements and how they interact with each other generally, uh, water and fire, earth and air. The final part to touch on in this excerpt is the idea that the combination of these virtues achieves its effects via the joining and knitting them together thoroughly by the powers and virtues of the superior bodies. Before I go on, I'd like to give an example of what a virtue actually is. It's been a bit vague so far, but it's quite simple. A virtue is an attribute, an association. You find them in folklore and myths and media. Uh, roses are associated with love. They are thorns with pain. That's a virtue. Got it? Okay, great. Let's continue. Remember what I said about offering things all innately like each other to a god? Well, you have to take into account the virtues of the god, too. Who would you typically call upon for protection from the Norse pantheon? Thor. Replacing superior bodies with gods, or a god, Thor in this case, can help it make more sense. With magic, you want to weave together the virtues and join them with a superior body. Remember in the first video when I talked about superiors governing their inferiors? This is what I was talking about. Thor is governing the inferior virtues of the offerings as they are agreeable to his virtues, in order to bend reality in the favor of the person who is petitioning Thor. Now, the thing about virtues is that it isn't simple. It's not easy. It's difficult to figure out proper associations, especially if you haven't trained your intuition. If you're practicing and want to use this information for your practice, I would recommend trying to work out your intuition brain muscle. You can do this by collecting or looking for things you think have certain virtues and then cross-referencing with folklore, myth, and your peers. With that said, let's move on to everyone's favorite thing, poetry. At least it's my favorite thing. Agrippa parses a poem by the Roman poet Publius Virgilius Maro. I probably butchered that, but he's better known as the poet Virgil. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the name of the poem that Agrippa parses. However, I will place the poem on screen and read it aloud. 
The number and the nature of those things called elements, what fire, earth, air forth brings, from whence the heavens their beginnings had, whence tide, whence rainbow and gay colors clad, what makes the clouds that gathered are and black to send forth lightnings and a thundering crack, what doth the nightly flames and comets make, what makes the earth to swell and then to quake. What is the seed of metals and of gold? What virtue's wealth doth nature's coffer hold? Agrippa then says these questions are answered by natural philosophy, and the poem continues. Whence all things flow, whence mankind beasts, whence fire, whence rain and snow, whence earthquakes are, why the whole ocean beats over his banks and then again retreats, Whence strength of herbs, whence courage, rage of brutes, all kinds of stone, creeping things, and fruits. Agrippa asserts that mathematics teaches us how to measure the bodies of things, as well as the movement of the stars. This ties into the previous statements that Agrippa makes about how natural philosophy answers the questions the poem asks, as well as the next part of the poem as it continues. As in Great Haas, what makes the golden stars to march so fast? What makes the moon sometimes to mask her face, the sun also, as if in some disgrace? How the sun doth rule with twelve zodiac signs, the orb that's measured round about with lines. It doth the heaven's starry way make known, and strange eclipses of the sun and moon, arctuous also. And the stars of rain, the seven stars likewise, and Charles his wane. Why winter suns make towards the west so fast? What makes the night so long ere they be past? Hence by the heavens we may foreknow the seasons all, times for to reap and sow, and when tis fit to launch into the deep, and when to war and when in peace to sleep, and when to dig up trees and them again to set, that so they may bring forth amen. The reason Agrippa is displaying this poem in his text is because it touches on all three branches of philosophy that he says make up magic when united. Natural philosophy, or physical science, theology, and mathematics. This idea that the grounded reality of the world is separate from the supernatural and magic parts of the world is fairly recent. Physical science took the stage in the modern era as we progressed with technology at a rapid rate. This led to a separation between the spiritual side of things and the reality side of things, which is really unfortunate, because it's all connected in a beautiful way, and one is not complete without the other. Science can explain so much, and it's done many, many great things, saving millions of lives. However, it's not the only piece to the puzzle, and it can't explain everything. This is what occult philosophy teaches the uniting of the knowledge we have available to attain greater knowledge as to the nature of our existence. Which brings us to this excerpt from Agrippa. Now, theological philosophy, or divinity, teacheth what God is, what the mind, what an intelligence, what an angel, what a devil, what the soul, what religion, what sacred institutions, rites, temples, observations, and sacred mysteries are. It instructs us also concerning faith, miracles, the virtues of words and figures, 
the secret operations and mysteries of seals, and as Apuleius saith, it teacheth us rightly to understand and to be skilled in the ceremonial laws, the equity of holy things, and the rule of religions. But to recollect myself, these three principal faculties of magic comprehends, unites, and actuates deservedly, therefore, was it by the ancients esteemed as the highest and most sacred philosophy. I'm assuming if you're here, you know what theology is. If you don't, a quick Google search can fix that, so I won't bother going into too much detail about theology. We see that Agrippa says that the ancients viewed magic as the highest philosophy. He notes that authors, or as he calls them, sage authors, such as Plato, Zoroaster, and Pythagoras, traveled far and wide, through Egypt, Syria, and Judea, to learn the secrets of magic and publish them in their philosophical texts. Okay, last time I'm going to stop the show to clarify something. Magic. Let's get comfortable with the term magic. Magic, 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 magicity, magic, magic, magic. <laughs> I want you to say the word magic to yourself until you stop cringing thinking about baby witches trying to hex the moon. As ridiculous and overblown that got to be, it's not representative of a philosophical approach to magic through a critical occult lens. Okay, said it enough times? Got all that woo out of your system? Any loose Karens spouting shit they don't know about regarding chakras and chi? No? None of that? Okay. Finally, Agrippa states that people not skilled in the three philosophies won't be able to perform magic, because how do you drive a car without understanding which pedal is the gas and the brake? Or what a pedal even is? Or what the act of driving even entails? You have to be able to grasp the basic components to be able to perform. Worry not, though. Some people would take this as a means of saying that gatekeeping is okay. I will not take that stance in the slightest. My goal is to help you learn, learn with you, and help us all grow as a community. The information is out there. The community is out there. All it takes is a bit of reading every day and the desire and drive to get what you want. Let me make it clearer. I'm a 19-year-old high school graduate with a semester of college under their belt, and I can do this. I know people younger than me excelling at these kinds of things in a way that I didn't think could be done at their age. It just takes interest, it takes motivation, and it takes desire, and honestly, I'm here to make all of it easier. I'd like to end with a poem of my own. This is one of my favorite poems I've written, and it's about divinity. If you'd like to skip it, feel free. It's just a fun little thing I'm thinking of doing at the end of each video. Let me know in the comments if you feel like this is something you'd like to see in each video. Oh, divinity. Oh, my love. Oh, the truest tears I ever did shed. Oh, the truest pain that ever did burn in my heart. What could I give but my sore throat and aching limbs? What could I give to you but the bear of my soul? I offer up memories that are no longer mine. I offer up the words I once spoke in love to another. I open up my chest and give my heart to you. 
do to it as you please, for I feel your fingers sliding between my ribs every night. I feel your fingers tracing my veins and arteries, caressing my lungs. I feel your fingers crawling up my throat and pulling my tongue, so I sing this prayer to you. I feel you in me, moving me to tears, putting me to sleep every night. Oh, divinity. Oh, my love. Oh, the truest tears I ever did shed. I give my all to you. What less could I give than my all? I give my all to you. And lastly, let's summarize, since that's a lot of information. Okay, to start, magic is the action of drawing out virtues from objects, combining them with other virtues that agree with each other, and joining them with superior virtues, like that of a god or a planet. Think about it like you're cooking, and you're making a meal for a wealthy relative or a person you want to win the favor of. You want to put together ingredients that make sense in contact with each other and taste good together, right? Well, that's magic, in a sense. You want to please the superior bodies and appeal to them with things they like or are associated with. Second, to have an understanding of magic and occult philosophy, you should have a basic understanding of mathematics, physical science, and theology. With the help of the internet, a lot of this comes easily. And with that, we end our look at chapter two. I hope this brought a better understanding to you about the nature of occultism. Thank you for sticking with me. I hope you enjoyed the video. I put many hours into research, writing, as well as editing and video processing. If you could leave a like, a comment, or even subscribe and ring the bell if you really enjoyed the video, it would help me out tremendously. You can find my social media below, as well as my Patreon. Remember, if you have any questions, please do not be afraid to shoot me a DM on Twitter or a message on Tumblr. I'm nearly always available, and I'm eager to educate. Thanks again, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.